here in Matthew chapter 28, we'll be reading verses 11 through 20. And those of you who have been uh, following along with the uh, Lenten readings, uh, the, the schedule of readings through Matthew, you can thank me later because you're finishing up all that this morning during service. Well, you can count this one as, uh, as your reading for the day. Kids are very interesting, um, mine especially, I think. But uh, while we were, while the band was singing this last song, Emery was leaning over and he was kind of mumbling. I said, "Buddy, I can't understand what you're asking. Speak up." And he said, "When is the next Easter?" And I said, "It'll be next year, buddy. Enjoy the one you've got right now." Um, his mind does not think chronologically. He sometimes thinks he's the oldest child. Sometimes he thinks he's the baby, but he's right smack dab in the middle. But um, it's interesting. It, the, the thought immediately occurred to me that um, we celebrate Easter every year, just as we celebrate our birthdays, just as we celebrate Christmas, just as we celebrate Valentine's Day, just as we celebrate all those things. And, and it's, it's easy to forget the importance of things when we celebrate them so regularly, but at the same time, it is important that we celebrate those things regularly. They embed into our memory what God has done to redeem us. Matthew chapter 28, beginning at verse 11. We read, Now while they were going, behold, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all the things that had happened. And when they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers, saying, Tell them, his disciples came at night and stole him away while we slept. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will appease him and make you secure. So they took the money and did as they were instructed. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. And when, he saw, when they saw Him, they worshipped Him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to Me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations." baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Let's breathe a word of prayer together. Almighty God, who through Your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, overcame death and opened to us the gate of everlasting life. Grant that we, who celebrate with joy this day of the Lord's resurrection, may be raised from the death of sin 
by your life-giving Spirit. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. It was St. John Chrysostom who said, Hell grasped a corpse and met God. Amen. The resurrection of Jesus offers to us and to the world some dangerous implications. So dangerous that you find here the authorities bribing guards who stood watch when Jesus was raised from the dead. They bribed them to concoct a story. Hey, look, you say that His disciples came while you were sleeping and and kidnapped His body. Which begs the question, why were there guards there anyhow? Matthew tells us. Because they knew that Jesus had said He would rise on the third day. They knew what He said was coming. And they feared His disciples preaching His resurrection as they should. Why were... If if these guards had slept and the disciples had come and kidnapped His body while they slept, why would they not have been executed? Why would they not have been punished? Matthew tells us. Because they were paid a bribe to write a different story. Hush, hush. Nothing to see here. Go about your way as normal. Even these who were anti-Christ in the early years of the church. Even they recognize what we mean when we speak of resurrection. When we speak of resurrection, we do not speak of Protestant, liberal, spiritualized, theologized, raising of, of ourselves into new life in God. They spoke of a literal, physical bodily resurrection. And if that does not blow your mind, then you're not thinking hard enough. If that does not shock us, then we do not take His resurrection seriously enough. They believed the disciples, those who were seeking to squash out this talk of resurrection, they recognized what Jesus meant by being raised on the third day. He was not speaking of some spiritual existence. He was speaking about His physical body would literally come up out of the tomb and would walk again.
And so as is my custom, I'm a creature of habit, you know. I want to share with you John Updike's seven stanzas at Easter. I'll post these online later on if you'd like a copy. Make no mistake, if he rose at all, it was as his body. If the cell's disillusion did not reverse, the molecules re-knit, the amino acids rekindled, the church will fall. It was not as the flowers, each soft spring recurrent. It was not as his spirit in the mouths and fuddled eyes of eleven apostles. It was as his flesh, ours. The same hinged thumbs and toes, the same valved heart that pierced, died, withered, paused, and then regathered out of enduring might, new strength to enclose. Let us not mock God with metaphor, analogy, sidestepping, transcendence, making of the event a parable, a sign painted in the faded credulity of earlier ages. Let us walk through the door. The stone is rolled back, not paper mache, not a stone in a story, but the vast rock of materiality that in the slow grinding of time will eclipse for each of us the wide light of day. And if we'll have an angel at the tomb, make it a real angel. Weighty with Max Planck's quanta, vivid with hair, opaque in the dawn light, robed in real linen, spun on a definite loom. Let us not seek to make it less monstrous for our own convenience, our own sense of beauty, lest awaken in one unthinkable hour we are embarrassed by the miracle and crushed by remonstrance. If we're going to speak of Easter, let's speak of a real Easter. If we're going to speak of the resurrection of the dead, let's speak of a real resurrection of those who are really dead. Because that's what the early church recognized. That's what the early anti-church knew was being suggested. They knew what was being claimed. They knew the implications of that. What was their concern? Why would they bribe these guards? Why would they try to hush out talk of His being raised up bodily? It was not because... The resurrection of Jesus ensures us life after death. The church believes not in immortality. We believe in resurrection. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And one day we too will be raised up bodily from the dead. And our bodies will be glorified and will be re-knit with our souls. And we will live forever. So resurrection is not just mere existence beyond the grave. To speak of the resurrection isn't to speak of, well, yeah, you'll live on forever in heaven. It is to speak of a body coming out of a tomb and being restored and glorified. The implications that were so dangerous in the early life of the church was not that they would start a club, some grand gathering of people who were faithful. In fact, I find it amazing that Matthew's 
discussion of the resurrection is smushed right there with the Great Commission. We start thinking, wait a minute, weren't there a lot of things that were going on in between there that John tells us about and Mark and Luke tells us about? Well, yes. I think Matthew is pressing home the fact that it is in the risenness of Jesus that the church is commissioned to go and not start a club, not form a huddle, but to go and literally disciple all the nations. In fact, Jesus said, All authority has been given to me in both heaven and on earth. Go therefore, and as you're going, disciple all the nations. The dangerous implications of the resurrection of Jesus are not concerned just with Jesus' power. The disciples weren't trying to fabricate a story to establish that Jesus was a mighty person, that He was even a miracle worker. That had already been well established. After all, just days before Passover, Jesus met in Bethany on His last trip to Jerusalem and was met by a celebration for He had raised Lazarus from the dead. The danger of the implications of Jesus' resurrection. What the church knew and what all of history knew was that if this man, Jesus, was crucified, if He was dead, if He was buried, And if time passed, and on the third day He literally, physically, bodily, rose from the dead, He is confirmed as Lord. The resurrection of Jesus is God's unequivocal yes to humanity. Jesus Christ is Lord. The whole human condition has been redeemed. God, recognizing our disease, has provided a cure fit for that disease. Because our disease is not just some spiritual thing. Sin is not just some inner thing, some inner attitude. It finds its expression in our outer behaviors. It has destroyed who we are. It has drug us down into the miry clay and God has entered that miry clay and has yoinked us up if you'll allow me to use that improper term. God has reached into the depths of our fallenness and He has pulled us out. The whole condition of humanity has been redeemed. No longer is the grave the end. No longer are we bound to death. No longer is our eternal home just some spiritual existence as our bodies rot in a box. God has said yes to humanity. Jesus is confirmed as Lord. And our condition has been redeemed. The Apostle Paul, in his letter to the Romans in chapter 8, 
said, if the spirit of him, that is the father, who raised Christ Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. Which is preposterous language. He will give life to your mortal bodies? You know what mortal means? Dying. Your bodies that are dying, He will give life to them. The dangerous implications for us in Jesus' risenness is not just that He can forgive our sins, but He can really make us new. That our daily living can be raised to new, to new heights. Amen. Everything is affected by His resurrection. Every aspect of our lives, every relationship in which we find ourselves He speaks life into it. And there are implications of His resurrection in it. Everything is changed because Jesus is risen. You know, um, we do a lot of things traditionally with regard to Easter. A lot of things that we wonder, where in the world does that come from? I still can't explain the bunny thing to you. Um, but I, I can explain the egg thing to you. You know, we hunt Easter eggs and we think, what in the world does that have anything to do with Easter? It's got nothing to do with the resurrection. And how does a bunny have eggs anyhow if the bunny brings you eggs? Hang on, I'm going somewhere. So the egg thing and the baskets that house the egg thing, it came up because of Lent. Because during Lent, the church would spend 40 days in fasting, and typically that would be associated with avoiding all meats. That's why on Friday you could have fish. Not other meats, but just fish. Eggs, whether you like it or not, are considered in the culinary world a protein, a meat. They're not dairy though they are found in the dairy aisle. Kind of odd. And so, because the egg is a form of meat, eating eggs would have been given up for Lent. And eggs go bad without proper refrigeration. And so, for Easter... The kids would bring their baskets filled with their eggs and the priests would bless those eggs for they had been saved throughout Lent. And now the day of the Lord's resurrection they were able to be consumed in a feast. It's kind of odd, but one of the amazing things that that resonates with me is that even eggs matter. Every aspect of our lives matters. Every aspect of our lives is offered hope and redemption in the resurrection of Jesus. His resurrection does not just mean that one day we'll get to go to heaven. 
His resurrection does not just mean that we can behave like good boys and good girls. His resurrection does not just mean that, yay, we have a reason to celebrate on Sundays. His resurrection means that every aspect of our lives is brought under His Lordship, for He is Lord. He has been confirmed by the Father as Israel's Messiah and the world's Redeemer. And He has been raised from the dead. And He raises us up with Him. The German theologian Pennenberg said the evidence for Jesus' resurrection is so strong that nobody would question it except for two things. First, it is a very unusual event. And second, if you believe it happened, you have to change the way you live. I think it is well time that the church get beyond its spiritualizing of the resurrection. And we declare without equivocation, without hesitation, without apology, without fear of mockery, that our Lord, the one we say hung the stars in the sky, that He really became one of us. That He really was a baby. That He really lived a human life. That He really was betrayed by one of His closest friends. That He really was beaten and spat upon, mocked and flogged that He really was nailed to a real cross with real nails, that He really did die, and that on the third day, He really did rise from the dead. And the only way that claim will have any legs on which to walk is if we live as though He is indeed our Lord and our Conqueror. The only way a statement like hell grasped a corpse and met God will ever make any amount of sense is if we live as though hell really grasped a corpse and really met God. He has destroyed death by dying. He has raised us up to new life by rising from the dead. And He really did it. He really did it.
Let's pray.